Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is round two with Kristen Sherry. This is the format where we bring back some of our favorite guests to have another conversation. And today's conversation is a good one. We're talking with Kristen Sherry in her new book, Your Team Loves Mondays, right? I love this book. Kristen Sherry's amazing. You're really going to enjoy this episode. Stay tuned for some good advice. Hey, are you ready for some good advice? It is time for round two, and I try not to pick any favorites. You know, I tra- we have so many amazing guests on the podcast, but I got to be honest, I'm picking a favorite today. I have round two with Kristen Sherry. Since she last came on the podcast, she has continued to just be incredible, continues to just have a national impact. She just spoke at Disrupt HR this last October. She has a new book out, and fam, From a management standpoint, this book is incredible. It's called Your Team Loves Mondays, right? (laughs) I love the title. Kristen, thank you for being here today. I'm like blushing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love being the favorite. Hey, well, you know, and you know what the old saying is you just tell everyone that and they just feel (laughs) uncomfortable. No, I know you mean it. I know you mean it. I'm genuine. That's true. No, it's really great to be back. I've, I've really thoroughly enjoyed being on your podcast the first time. You're such an amazing host. You're really thoughtful and insightful and you ask great questions. And I feel like you bring out very robust, meaningful conversation. And I really appreciate that about you. Well, I appreciate that because that's, that's really, and I don't, I've mentioned this a few times, you know, really the whole point of the podcast is it's so exhausting to see not just, and this is especially true on LinkedIn, but any social media platform we're so good at putting out the persona. And so my, my shtick, if you could call it that, of anyone who comes on the podcast, especially if I don't know them well, I always have to brief them and tell them like, hey, this isn't a marketing podcast. This isn't a, you know, you're going you're gonna to give like your five minute presentation on why you're amazing. It's just, a re- <laughs> it's just a real conversation. And I've only had, I think, one guest where I got off and I was like, oh my gosh, I never want to talk to that person again. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but but for the most part, our secret. I do yeah. love the beginning where you're like, "Are you ready for some good advice?" Yeah, rocks. Don't it ever. Sounds like I just chug some Red Bull or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, I really so I'm really biased because I've worked a lot in the management space, and I wanted I want to talk about you. I want to talk about some of the stuff you're doing nationally and internationally. You know your UMAP uh, your, your UMAP assessment tool. I read that you had just um, certified a group of people in India. I know you're doing people all over the world. It's pretty incredible how this thing is really just exploding in growth. I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about your team loves Mondays, right? And for the listeners, I'm going to go ahead and tell you today is Tuesday the 18th. On Thursday, this book is going to release on February 20th. And if you are looking for the perfect book, book in management, 
you got to buy this book. It's going to be on the 20th. It's going to be available on Kindle for 99 cents. You don't need a Kindle reader to read it. You can actually just download the app to check it out. But I want to talk about this book, Krista, because as soon as you told me the title, I thought, oh my gosh, this book is going to be amazing. So I've been feverishly waiting to get this book and I've read it. I love it. It's really good. How did this book come about for you? Uh, so it's interesting. I actually got this focus on helping people increase their self-awareness, which is where the UMAP came in. But as I was doing that and helping people move into roles where their potential could be lived out, I then realized that about half of the people I spoke with were trying to escape a quote unquote bad manager. And if you look at the data, that's the number one reason that people do leave a role is to escape their manager. And I'm a futuristic thinker. It's my one of my top strengths. So I do this game where I imagine scenarios of this person leaving the role. We're really excited. They got it, land a new job. And then this other person is announcing to their family, I got an email, I got the job, and they're so excited. And they're now going to step into that situation with that manager that someone else tried to leave. And that weighed on me. And I thought, I can't just help job seekers escape bad managers. I have to help managers on the other side of the table to do better. Because I do believe that people come to work wanting to do a good job. They've just two thirds of managers have never received any training. And only one in 10 people is wired to manage people well naturally. So I was the the one, the nine out of 10, I didn't know how to manage people naturally. I had to figure it out the hard way. So I took my experience coaching new managers and my experience managing people and thought, I'm going to help people out and I'm going to give them the best tools, the best frameworks and the best tips that helped me and the people I coached to really up their game as a manager. Hmm. Now, you, you gave a great statistic and I also saw you've posted this before too. Two thirds, or actually, is it two thirds or was it 90% haven't received training? Two thirds. It's about 60, 66% have never received any kind of training at all. And then I think you also have a statistic that only 10% are, I guess, what you would call a naturally born leader. Yeah. <laughs> so it leaves the other 90%, which I always think about. Okay, so basically the rest of us. <laughs> right. The rest of us who we don't have the natural skill sets to lead, which it's an interesting disconnect, right? Because most of the time when someone becomes a manager, it's because they are a phenomenal individual contributor. They're a great right. salesperson. They're really good at whatever their job is. And so naturally, you know, bosses are like, ah, let's make this person the manager, right? <laughs> and yet people, the majority of people aren't naturally wired to be a good boss. Now, why do you think so many, you know, I guess their bosses, why do you think that so many leaders of companies aren't adequately training their people? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, who owns that responsibility? So everyone puts the ownership somewhere else, like the manager of that person should do it. No, our learning and development team should be doing that. No, HR should be doing that. No, we should be just, we should have a hiring process where we bring people in who are already good at it and they shouldn't need to be trained. Mm. So I think there's this, this distribution of responsibility that everyone else think, thinks someone else is going to do it. Mm -hmm. You don't have a cohesive, intentional organizational strategy around it. 
And the second thing is I do think there's this mentality of just hiring people who have had success doing it and should be able to do it. And if you're promoting people, well, they are top performers. So of course they're going to be good managers, but it's a completely different skill set. Well, it feels like what we value in terms of what we think is the ideal manager is not what actually makes someone a great manager. Like I've, it's, it's, I used to do this activity. I still do it actually, but you ask people to name off their favorite qualities of, and actually you just did something similar at the uh, seven, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher the title, seven hours in me. Is that what Seven hours for me. Yeah. We did our very first manager skill builder workshop based on the book uh, re- just recently, Febu- at the beginning of February. And we asked people what the characteristics of the best manager was and the characteristic of the worst manager. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the best characteristic was the person can build trust with you. Mm-hmm. The worst characteristic is they're threatened by your talent. Well, and, and that's kind of the key insight is that a lot of times, especially for like the the manager who's just pr- been promoted, there can be a false assumption that my skill set is going to make me a great boss. When really, when you ask people, hey, what do you love about your boss? Or what was the best boss you ever had? Or what are some of the characteristics that they that was true about them that made them easy to work with? No one ever mentions the technical skills. Like no one ever says, oh, they were such a great salesperson. Or, oh, they were so great at you know, working those customer data files or no one ever says that, <laughs> right? And so I guess it's, it's, for me, it's just kind of this eye-opening disconnect of what they do talk about is trust, right? Mm-hmm. So then why don't, we have, why don't we have more trainings that are on trust rather than, you know, what I see a lot of companies do is like the cheesy, oh, let's have a speaker come in and talk about trust. But then it just goes back to whatever it was before. Yeah, absolutely. To your point, the individual contributor had pretty clear expectations and deliverables, whether they were resolving a customer problem or whether they were generating reports or whether they were managing projects or whatever they were doing. When you look at the traits and qualities that actually make people a good manager, it's things like knowing how to appropriately assert yourself with a balance of empathy as well as assertiveness. So not being authoritative and not being a doormat, that's, that's not easy for people to do. So being able to be, uh, Chris Macchiarola calls it direct with respect. Mm-hmm. Being I, able to, yeah, being good. able to um, be accountable. Yeah, the individual contributors are probably accountable, but are they really good relationship builders? If they had a task-oriented job, they're going to be a task-oriented leader as well. And maybe that's not what's called for. So a lot of times I've noticed people move into an individual control, individual contributor role. They move from that into a management role and behave as an individual contributor in the management role. So now I have different tasks. I have reports for clients. I have meetings I have to set up. And they behave like an individual contributor in the management role because they don't understand their number one deliverable is maximizing their team. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've, I've seen that. And again, I've seen another disconnect. So you see the, you see the person who stays and, and you have a great chapter in here that talks about delegating and empowering your people, which is such a key insight for any manager. So you have the leader who they can't help but just do everything themselves really. But then you have the other type of leader, I should really call them other type of manager, who they step into that role and they, they catch a glimpse of what you're talking about. Like my job is to maximize them, but the way they get it wrong is they see it as sort of like a parental, my job is to tell you what to do. And so like the Monday morning meeting, which everyone hates this meeting, 
the Monday morning meeting is basically this person at the front saying, okay, you need to do this this week. Hey, you need to do this this week. Okay, this person needs to be doing this. And it's very much like no one is, it's very controlling. It's like no one is, is automatized, so to speak, to really take their own level of ownership and get stuff done. Right. And so I, I, I see it on both sides, I guess, where it's like over, over management versus, you know, I'm just still an individual contributor. Well, yeah, you're right. I was coaching this one guy and he told me I can't take a vacation. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, because my team relies on me when they have problems. And I said, you are failing your team as a manager. And he was super, (laughs) I'm a truth teller, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to leave you in that place. I then coached him through. And I said to him, people feel a sense of accomplishment at solving their own problems. But what happens is if you keep solving people's problems for them, they will fall into that pattern with you. Mm -hmm. They'll stop thinking and they'll say, I have a problem. And they'll instantly pick up the phone, walk in your office, send you an instant message or what have you. I said, you need to stop and pause with your people and say, tell me about the situation and then ask them a question. What would you like to see happen here? And if they don't know, say, well, go and think about it. What outcome are you looking for? And then come back and talk to me because people aren't used to people pushing (laughs) back to them like that. And so then once they've defined the outcome they're looking for, you have to ask them a how question. So tell me about what, how, how could you accomplish that? How could you get the resources you need? And the first time you do this with someone, they might struggle. So it's okay to give them a couple of ideas. But I had a manager that did this with me, and that's how I learned it. Mm-hmm. And I knew what she was going to ask me when I went to her. So I would proactively think through, these are the outcomes I'm looking for, and here's some ideas I think how I could accomplish that. And then I would go to her with those questions already worked out. Well, and it's such a, what you're, what you're giving is such tangible advice too, because a lot of times when we think about the, bad or toxic manager we think of like the the psycho sociopath and it's like well i'm not that person so i guess i'm good but sometimes we we are that bad manager and and not to mean it harshly but but there are managers who they like to be the guy so to speak you know they like being the center of the team they like being the person that you know sort of doles out responsibilities but what you are talking about is building something frankly that's a lot more sustainable you know, if the organization is going to continue to be influential, it has to go beyond, you know, you at the center of it. So how are you delegating and empowering your people? I think it's a great insight. Yeah. If you are the person, so there's a couple of reasons why it's not good to not delegate and to not empower your people to make decisions. Number one, you are not learning anything as a manager. If you're doing things that come easy and naturally to you, you're capping your own potential. Mm-hmm. The second thing is you're creating risk for your organization. If you're the only person on your team who can do that activity, who has the information about it, who knows the details, and something happens to you, you're putting your organization at risk. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is you are not providing opportunity for your team to grow. And the number two reason why people leave a role is no growth opportunity. So, there are a lot of reasons. It's You're shooting yourself in the foot. You think you're being helpful. You think things will be done right if I'm involved and I'm injecting myself, but you're robbing yourself and your team of growth opportunity and putting your organization at risk. 
It seems like also, and there's, and you know, I'm just totally repping your book here. There's another great chapter on feedback and giving feedback. You know, it feels like another piece of this leadership puzzle is is being the leader who's secure enough to ask your people for feedback. Because a lot of times, I think that the statistic is something like only 10 to 15% of managers are actually self-aware in terms of how their actions are impacting their people. But I've even worked with leaders in the past who I've really pressed on them to ask their people what they think about them. And like a month goes by and they're like, oh yeah, I'm still getting around to doing that. Because <laughs> it's, you know, it's awkward and it feels bad, but it, it, it feels like a lot of times we just don't, we don't even know the detrimental impact we're having because we assume we're not, again, that crazy boss. And so we, we aren't always as assertive as we need to be in getting that feedback from our people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the easiest way to, to do that is just to do something called a plus delta. So tell me what you think I'm doing well and what are some things that you need that you think I need to change. Mm-hmm. And you can do this in, in flip. You can do this with your employees, but do you have them start? What do you think is going well? Yeah. Yeah. That write down all the things they say that they're doing well. And you know what? I'll add, you're really great with, building rapport with our customers, add two more things to their list of what you think they're doing really great. And then let them say, what do you think needs to be different or better or more of? And let them save face, let them say where they think, yeah, you know, I've observed that. I think we could create some development planning around that. And here's one I'll add and add what you think the number one thing that person is. Don't do a whole laundry list and plow them into the ground. What's the one thing <laughs> that they need to change? Focus on one thing at a time. You don't need to demotivate them. You can only work on one thing at a time anyway. That is a very constructive way to help a person realize um, what they need to be doing. And then, hey, let's capitalize on these things that you do really well. Let's think how you can have more projects, more opportunity to do these things. And that person leaves that meeting feeling really good about themselves. So you can lead other people to give you feedback that way, doing the plus delta, or you can do that with your team. It's a really effective strategy and everyone leaves feeling intact. Well, and there's a there's an implied genuineness of sometimes, you know, the managers will do the, they're like, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to say something positive too. Cause I really just want to say this negative thing. The but sandwich like, never works. Yeah. Well, like we're just actually being genuine. Hey, it's being genuine, being strategic. Hey, you are really good at this. And exactly what, <clears throat> excuse me, exactly what you just said, we're going to be strategic. And because you're so good here with our customers, for example, we're going to make sure your role involves more, uh, touch points with the customer rather than, you know, whatever else you're doing. And then, oh, and by the way, stop, you know, whatever that, yeah, that delta is. But the other thing I want to ask you too is, you know, when we talk about giving feedback and getting feedback, I, I get real, and I try not to sound cynical or like burned out, but it, it feels like a lot of times we just rely on the annual review as like the crutch. I am totally anti-annual review and I've even, I've heard some real horror stories. A friend of mine, she didn't just get an annual review. She got her five year review. Oh, and, boy. and so it was a really awkward conversation. It was like, Hey, yeah, four years ago you did this. And I was just wondering what you think about it. And she's like, I don't even remember that. 
But then he was like, hey, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable with confrontation. So I didn't want to give you this feedback here. So I wrote it, I wrote it to you. And so here it is. And it was like, it was a letter. It was like a two or three page letter. He was like, go home and read it. And then on Monday, let me know what you think about it. And it was a letter just like listing all of her offenses. And I was like, this is the most awkward thing I've ever heard of. You know what that reminds me of? (laughs) My mother-in-law once told me a story. Her mother-in-law is now deceased. But she, when her kids were little, my husband and, and his siblings, she took her kids to visit her mother-in-law. And after she left, her mother-in-law mailed a letter to critique her parenting in the letter. That's oh, what that no. reminds me of. That's horrible. I'm with you. Performance reviews are really because you need to be able to calculate people's quartile rankings and bonus. That's why people have performance reviews. Large organizations need them. I don't do per- performance reviews on anyone that reports to me. I give regular in-the-moment feedback, and I make sure that my praise always outweighs my feedback. But you know what? I've said this before and I know you agree with this because I've seen a post. If your person isn't performing to your expectations, it's always your fault. Mm. It is always your fault as the manager. You either didn't do a good job of defining the needs and expectations and deliverables of the role, the challenges that person will face, what a high performer will look like, and, and then making sure that the competencies you identified in the job description link to the answers to those questions. And then the interview questions you ask link to the competencies in the role and that you did a thorough job of making sure that you hired the right person. Then you didn't onboard them correctly or provide them with the proper training or you're demotivating them through the seven most common causes of the way managers demotivate their people. You're not giving them appropriate regular feedback in a way that retains their dignity or you're not offboarding them or finding another place for them in the organization. So here's what happens. Someone's not meeting my expectations that nine times out of 10, the manager was not clear and concise on what that expectation was. They know it's wrong when they see it. Like, oh, I need you to just go do this. And then they see it and they're like, no, here's all the things that were wrong. Well, like, why didn't you say that? What you wanted up front, you know? <laughs> then, then they deliver feedback very poorly. It's not specific. It's not actionable. It's, made with generalizations and blind spots and it's Mm. received poorly so that person feels wounded by it the relationship gets damaged people become passive aggressive they avoid each other now it's uncomfortable to work with you so i'm going to create uh, an environment that makes you uncomfortable so you quit this i mean lather rinse and repeat that's happening every day around the world in workplaces instead of us actually saying you know what let's just be open and honest with each other and saying, tell me how you're struggling and how can I help? What's going well for you? And that includes how I'm managing you. I am very open to your feedback. And if you're not open to feedback, why are you managing people? Like seriously, do us all a favor and stay an individual contributor if you don't have the humility to be able to take feedback from people, take your lumps and grow as as a manager of people. Don't manage people if you can't handle that. That's my bottom line. Well, a lot of people they love the perks, but they don't like they don't like the price of leadership, right? Where you have to, you know, it's oh, I got the job title, I have the um, you know the pay raise, I have the way I, the way I've heard it explained before is um, so Donnie Smith, who was the CEO at Tyson, he talked about how he had to get rid of boat people in his company, and that was people who they had been promoted to a VP or SVP role. 
they had gone out and bought a boat, you know, as like, whatever, <laughs> they had bought a boat and they were like really proud of, I am now a boat person. I own a boat, even <laughs> though they were, they became a terrible boss. But those mm -hmm. people were like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to move down. I can't not be a boat person. There's too much shame in that. And so Donnie tells a story of how he would have to go through and be like, okay, this person, this boat person needs to go and, <laughs> you know, or help them get rid of the boat or, or what have you. But it's tough for managers to really, go ahead. 75% of managers who are polled feel they're not competent to do their job. Mm. And they don't want people to know that. So they, they, you have to go into this big secrecy cover-up. It becomes this big cover-up. I can't admit <laughs> I'm wrong. I can't let people see my weaknesses. Right. And it's a fraud. And let me tell you, when I used to do DISC workshops a lot with people, the personality assessment DISC, I would do workshops and people would say, oh, I'm not comfortable with people knowing this stuff about me or talking about this stuff. Or I don't want people to know that I'm dominant. And I'm like, guess what? It's not a secret. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> knows you're dominant. <laughs> so like not admitting your shortcomings as a leader, those aren't secrets either. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's, it's like weird disconnects that leaders create. Like, like I talked to one who is like, oh, I ran into my employee at a restaurant and I just, I had to avoid him because I, you know, I can't, I can't be seen out with them. And I was like, what are you even talking about? Like this what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know, you can't be friends with your people you work with. And I was like, oh, but you can't be like a cordial human being. And I was like, yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? There's a continuum there, right? <laughs> well, and, and you know, and, but again, going back to your points, the chances are, I mean, sure, he could be a narcissist. The other possibility is exactly what you're saying is he's saying what a manager above him has told him as he's coming into his job. This is what you're yeah. supposed to do. This is what a manager is. And it's amazing how many dysfunctional leaders I talk to that it's, it's, they're just, they're literally just repeating what they've seen done and they don't mm -hmm. know any better. They're not any different. Yeah. So. Well, to your point earlier, when you said you should be asking for feedback, that is uncomfortable. And I want to just talk for a second about what goes on from a brain chemistry point of view. When people tell us something about ourselves that we don't like, we go into fight or flight because our brain interprets intellectual threats and processes them identically to physical threats. So if you're being chased by a grizzly bear and someone's saying, you know, you're really terrible at communicating, you're having the same reaction. So you have to be aware of that because you're tying your identity as a person, as a manager, to feedback on your behaviors or skills or whatever it is. And those things need to be separated. I can tell you, Blake Benz, you know, I really don't like how you're always saying this or that or the other on LinkedIn, but I can still like you and respect you as a person. And that's, that's what people don't realize is when someone gives you feedback, that means that they they trust you enough to be honest with you or they care enough about you to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to focus on. This person cares enough about you to want to help you move to a better place. The people who don't give a rat's butt about you are the people who just scowl and gossip about you behind your back and never give you feedback. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, you mentioned the most important component is that trust piece. Right? I mean, feedback's a lot easier when you've put in the work to create trust 
I mean, think about when you receive feedback from someone you deeply trust, it's like, oh yeah, because you trust their motives, right? Mm. And it's, if it's from the manager who you've never talked to, or they, they only show up to tell you what you're doing wrong, you don't trust that person's motives. I mean, and that's why we start thinking about, you know, they're just micromanaging me. They're just a jerk. They're just saving their own hide. But a lot of people aren't willing to put in the time to build that trust, I've noticed. You know what's really interesting? I've had people contact me and say, oh, I'm, I really don't like how my manager speaks to me. I really don't like how my manager does this, that, or the other. I'm like, well, what did they say when you gave them that feedback? Well, I didn't, I didn't give them the feedback. Why not? Well, they're not going to be open to it. Well, how do you know if you've never given them feedback? And are you giving feedback in a way that makes it easy for that person to receive it? It's amazing how people will give feedback and say things that's like indirect. It's dancing around it. I'll say to people, go to that person and say, I sense conflict between us and I want to have a good working relationship with you. What am I doing that's creating a barrier to you feeling a trusted, building a trusted relationship with me? I'd like to hear your feedback first. I'd like to hear your opinion. And if you're open, I'd like to share my feedback as well. Why is that so hard? It is so authentic and direct. And I'm telling you, when you are that vulnerable and, and, and exercise that level of humility, like I sense something here. I could be picking things up totally wrong, but it's really important to me to have a good relationship with you. And I want you to tell me what I'm doing that's causing a barrier to that. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. Well, and I, I, I be direct and honest about it. It reminds me of a, I had a coworker who we disagreed on a hire. We were going through interviews and we just deeply disagreed on a hire, but we, it wasn't like bad. It wasn't like negative between us. But I remember the next day calling her and being like, Hey, I just want to make sure that I know it went fine, but I want to make sure that there's no tension between us that we're good. I really value the relationship. And she was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, me too. But it's just like, if we could have those conversations rather than waiting till it blows up, feels like it can maintain that dynamic a lot better. And frankly, for the people who are listening, who are leaders, leaders, it's up to you to create that culture where that happens. That's right. If somebody humbles themselves or makes themselves vulnerable to have a difficult conversation with you, acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Tell them, I, I recognize this must have been hard for you to come and broach this subject with me. And I really appreciate that you felt comfortable doing that. Behavior that gets rewarded gets repeated. And I love that line. Yeah, one of the things that I've always told people I coach in, in the management space is healthy conflict builds intimacy. And that's what people forget. And I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, obviously, although sometimes <laughs> that happens at work, which is ill-advised. But yeah. <laughs> um, That chapter no, wasn't in this book. <laughs> think about a relationship where you have had a misunderstanding and you go to that person and you work through it. You release oxytocin from your brain. It's the trust hormone and it creates a sense of warmth and safety and affection for that person. Mm-hmm. I once was bullied terribly in high school by a guy who had a lot of problems and I didn't know him personally. He just sort of targeted me and he made my high school experience really terrible. And he went through the 12 step program. And as part of that, you have to reach out and reconcile with people you've wronged. And he reached out to me on Facebook and he said, I was a total, whatever 
expletive he used to describe himself. And he said, I'm really sorry I made your, your life hard. And I had this flood of warmth go through my body as I experienced forgiveness. And I, I said, you know what? I, I forgive you. And I recognize that hurt people hurt people. And that's what was happening with him. He ended up going to jail after high school and he just, he was a troubled person and it really had nothing to do with me. And we're still connected as friends on Facebook to this day. The one person who I could probably say made my life the most living hell on this planet were Facebook friends. <laughs> the magic of Facebook, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I yeah, mean, the, point, the point being is if you push through conflict in a healthy way, right. prepare yourself for that conversation. Don't go in there on this emotional high. What are your hot buttons? What are your triggers? Acknowledge them. Do you have a backstory that this person reminds you of your your husband's mistress and that's why you're so hot buttoned by them? Like there's something going on in your backstory. If there is, you need to acknowledge it and you can't control how people respond to your feedback, but just doing your best to put yourself in a humble position where you say, I think we may have different perspectives on this. I'd love to hear your thoughts and I'd love to share mine as well. Put them first. Yeah. And I, I think, and it, I think this is in maybe even five dysfunctions of a team, but um, Lindsay only talks about, you know, healthy teams, the leaders actually creating conflict, not like in a, um, an obstinate way, but yeah. forcing those conversations that you're talking about. And I've even seen it happen when a, a boss, a boss said, all right, tell me why this won't work. And like created the conflict and someone gave a really great reason why it wouldn't work. And the boss became really defensive and they were like, you're wrong. It's not, it's not going to work that way. And finally he goes, you asked me why it wouldn't work. Like you, you asked me to, to share why it wouldn't. And so I, I think there's a hidden gem there of, you know, conflict doesn't have to be bad. It can actually breed trust on the team. And frankly, it creates a culture where new perspectives or different perspectives are valued, which is what you want to actually be innovative and agile and, you know, all of those things. Yeah. When you feel yourself going into that defensive fight or flight reaction, you have to, you have to rally your prefrontal cortex and bring it to the table and say things like, thank you for that feedback. I will think about what you've shared. You don't have to have a response to what people tell you right then. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm going to go think about that. Period. Say nothing else. Be gracious and be quiet if you're going to get defensive. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But then, but then actually follow up, you know, yeah. a couple of days later, Hey, I thought about it. This is what I want to do different rather than, you know, we'll forget that guy. I'm just, you know, demoted or, <laughs> you, you know, know what? what you might go home and share it with your partner. Hey, they said that I'm this, that, or the other. And, uh, let's see oh. what your partner has oh, to say. Kristen, I love this. Cause I did this, the same thing. I went home to joy and I said, this is what they told me. Can you believe this? And she goes, Oh yeah, that's you. I was like, Wait, <laughs> she just said it so nonchalantly. She was like eating like a bowl of soup. She's like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's you. And I was like, I was like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, that's totally you. I was like, everything they said is exactly you. But it's, it's, and that's kind of like the, that's kind of the joy of self-awareness though, is it's almost like a drug for every leader out there who hasn't forced these conversations. Once you start to discover, oh, I see how that came across, or I see how that part of me is communicating, not what I want. It becomes an exciting part of your journey because now you're developing yourself. You know, it's almost like you can't get enough now of figuring out who you are. 
Yeah, I can't think of anyone in my life that I'm on the outs with because I practice what I preach. And I have reached out to people and said, I feel like I've done something to upset you. I could be completely off base here. One of the things that's challenging is we have a lot of interesting like neuropsychology going on that we're not aware of, which to your point is why self-awareness is so important. There's something called the fundamental attribution bias. It's fab, but it's not fab because here's what happens. When someone else is late for a meeting with you, they're disrespectful of your time, they're rude, they don't take you seriously, they're uncommitted, they're unaccountable, all these character assassinations. But when we're late for things, well, my car wouldn't start and my kids had a crisis, like there's a very good reason why you're late. And so we attribute lack of character to other people, but when it's us, there's a very good explanation. It's a one-off. It doesn't characterize us. And we need to be aware that those psychological constructs are going on in our mind. And it creates this, these tremendous blind spots about ourselves, and causes us to level unfair uh, assumptions about other people. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and this is why I love the personality piece of what you do, because it's the same concept where you know, uh, me and this person just, I just don't get along with that person because they're kind of selfish. They're kind of in it for themselves. Oh no, I'm actually just really abrasive and they don't like being around me. And so, <laughs> you know, discovering your personality, whether that's through UMAP, it definitely needs to be UMAP. Everyone needs to go check out UMAP. <laughs> through UMAP and realizing, oh my gosh, like this, this is what I'm actually communicating. I think that's a, a key insight to leading your team better as well. You know, I had such low self-awareness in, the, in my very first job in my career. There's a story in the book under the personality section that, that has all the scenarios of the two people that are clashing. One of the scenarios is actually me. Oh. <laughs> and it's the story. It's the story where I don't know if I made it a man or a woman. I think it's Tony Abaki and... Um, Corey Warfield, Tony and Corey. I, I, I named all the characters after people I know in the book. So Tony and Corey, I think, is the story. I used to walk into this woman's office that I worked with on Monday morning and just, I'm task oriented. So I would just start firing off all the things that we needed to do that day and what I was going to be working on. And I noticed she would get this red blotchy rash on her <laughs> neck and throat. And What's wrong with this that, person? And I used to think, what a weird bird she is. Like she's always ashy. Like what's wrong with her? I was completely unaware that because she was a calm and steady person and she was relationship oriented, that my task oriented, loud, large personality put her in fight or flight mode. And she would break out in a rash because of me. And I just thought she was just a really weird person, but I had no idea I was doing that to her. Hmm. Well, I, I love these insights. And, you know, the book, the book is full of stories. And so the uh, listeners, you definitely got to check out this book. Again, it's going to be out on the 20th of February. It's going to be 99 cents for four days. And uh, you can get it on Amazon after that for sure as well. Um, Kristen, what do you write next? I'm working on a book called Maximize 365, A Year of Practical Tips to Transform Your Life. And it's in five areas. So career, spiritual, health, financial, and relationships. And so there's a little assessment for people to do after the introduction to figure out the priority of where they need to start. 
And essentially, there, there's a quote, a little devotion, if you will, a practical tip you can do right now to uh, really kind of experience growth in that area and a reflection section on like, what are you going to do differently? So for example, if you struggle to say no, there's just a really good tip. It, first of all, it deals with mindset. The little Devo, the little devotional helps you get your mindset right around that topic. And then here's something you can start implementing right now. That was the goal is if you work through these tips, you'll be a better person at the end of the year. Mm. Well, I love that one thing. And I'm, I'm going to ask you, what's the one thing that listeners right now should do to engage with you? Because I know that you know, you have, there's no shortage of content that they can find from you. I mentioned you have your Disrupt HR uh, is on YouTube. You have, um, you're always on the radio somewhere. You're always speaking somewhere. What's one thing that they can do right now to connect with you and engage with you? Um, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at UMAP Creator. Or you can go to myumap.com and send me a message through the website. I love it. And then listeners, again, you got to check out this book out on Thursday. Kristen, it's been amazing. Thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. And for our listeners, I will put her information in the episode description as well as a link to buy yourself a copy of this book. I would not recommend it if it was not phenomenal. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and you're a first-time listener, what the heck are you waiting on? You need to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to get great episodes from the podcast. And if you really enjoyed listening to Kristen today, leave the episode a five-star review. Hey, we'll catch you later. Enjoy your week. See ya.